Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. We just can't get enough of Ron McKeefree from Play Performance. His enthusiasm for coaching is fueled by his sense of obligation to change lives. And if you're looking for motivation to jumpstart your own passion for training others, you need to listen to this episode. He has made weight room leadership an art by studying the greats and by field testing his own philosophies. This includes maybe the taboo practice of defining the term good for athletes with lofty pro goals. Learn how Ron harnesses their desire for sports success by showing them exactly where they are and exactly where they need to be to make their dreams a reality. Suddenly, you as a coach will become that integral vehicle to making change, first physically and then psychologically. Here it is, episode 311. Make this run no time. A little white pill for them little white lines I'm smoking. Okay. So I'm like, I'm a flat earth Game of Thronesier. That's the stance I'm taking. That's the stance I'm taking. This is the intro to the premier podcast of strength and or conditioning. (laughs) No, no, no. Dude, we can't. Like, you messed up the tagline. It's the podcast of strength or conditioning. (laughs) Ing. 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 How about this? The podcast of conditioning. Ing, ing. Are you making like Game of Thrones, ing? No. Game Mm. on Thrones. Oh, okay. Is that like heroes on the half shell or no, in the half shell? It's it, they're in the shell, like in it. But, but they is, they, they said the heroes shell. in the half shell. The problem is, is the shell is a three sixty shell. Mm-hmm. So think about it. So they got shells in their back. They also got no, shells but in they their hide stomach. in it. So when they hide in their shell, they're her- heroes, and them coming out. But they heroic. say half shell. The half shell would isn't, mean that it's a half shell, not a full shell. But isn't hero just another name for a sandwich? That's a euro. That's a gyro. Uh, now I get it. Power Athlete Nation. <laughs> What's happening? This is another episode of the premier oh, podcast in, in strength and condition. Ing. Uh, Ing. Un. Ing. That's right. I'm Luke. Luke's pointing at me, Tex. Tex is going to point at John. Oh, oh and our special guest? guest? Oh, I thought it was special guest, not featured no, guest. No, no, no. Ron McKeever is our special guest. Oh, I'm the featured guest. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And who are you? I am John Wellborn. <laughs> I don't believe you. That was not confident enough. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm, I, was trying, <laughs> I was trying to say it with a question mark that I've re- I'm reading off my teleprompter that yeah. somebody put on there. Who put the question mark on the teleprompter? And remember, go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> oh, oh, what's wrong? show. <laughs> <laughs> Way to knock that out. Uh, Ron, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by Odin's beard. Uh, unique New York, red leather, yellow leather. Ladies and gentlemen, I have two announcements to make. Number one, since we've been recording these texts, which one did I announce the 400 likes giveaway or the 400 review giveaway? I don't listen to this show. Are you kidding? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you may have heard this already, or this may be the first time you're hearing this. We are going to arrange an epic swag giveaway once we reach 400 reviews on iTunes. Oh, we're at 323. Shit. Maybe I should have made it a thousand. Well, date check, but okay. Let's go with 400. Yeah, 400. And what could be in this swag bag? Maybe some used cotton swabs. Maybe some of Texas band-aids. Toenail clippings. Are these the things that people want from Tex? I think I'm going to throw up. No? No. You know, I mean, have you ever I don't seen wear band-aids? Have you ever well, seen, then fine. I guess we'll just I don't up. think I've ever seen Texas feet other than that one time I saw that mole and now barefoot. I can't unseen that mole. I trained barefoot. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have you have spoken. 
We will shave Tex's eyebrow, no. and you can get his eyebrow hair. <laughs> uh, no? No. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this episode's brought to you in part by Power Athlete Radio. If you're digging this stuff, if you like what you're hearing, if you enjoy the guests, if you enjoy the stories, if you enjoy the banter, head to iTunes and give us a review, right? Mm-hmm. It better be five stars, or John's going to come slap you with the wet trout. Is that true? Wet trout? I mean, I thought it was a frozen trout, Same but I'll deal. go with the wet trout. Well, frozen's technically wet. It's just a different... By the time state. he gets to your house, that child will be wet. God, can you imagine getting hit with a frozen fish? Fuck, yeah. that would be that would hurt all the time. <laughs> and yeah. no, that's the dead fish. <laughs> uh, I have a good story about that. <laughs> that's for another podcast. Yes, that's the other podcast I'm a dead we do. Fish, I'm a dead fish. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, on to the next piece. If you are a strength coach, and I'm guessing, man, given our guest today, Ron McKeefrey, I mean, prolific strength coach, right? And really switched he's on. He's like the strength coach's strength coach. He is because he's switched on to like all of the. He's the gentleman strength coach. All of the like social components that have, that a strength coach can influence in an athlete. And, you know, he's tied in with fucking everybody, man. And develops coaches and is just changing, uh, I guess not changing, changing the profession, but changing turning the, the volume paradigm. Up, right? Changing the, the paradigm up. is really what you're searching for. No, I'll tell you what's going to change paradigm, John, is if you're a coach and you're looking for some professional development, you want to you up your coach's game, you got to head to academy.powerathletehq.com because Ooh. we are currently enrolling yes. in the next semester of the premier online course in strength and conditioning, ing, ing, ing. the Power Athlete Methodology Level 1 course. Take it away, Tex. So we essentially have, have taken information, a lot of which, you know, we, we have a principle-based system, you know, that we, one of our one-liners we, we took from Ron McKeefrey back in one of his first episodes with us, and have pieced together the methodology in an applicable order, right? So it's not a matter of memorizing X's and O's of strength and conditioning. It's understanding principles. It's understanding how to coach and teach movement, and then walk into your weight room with your athletes, and then coach them up. We also put it along with our bedrock program. So you are applying this program and watching how the adaptations that we speak of, the directions to apply this program unfold right before your eyes. And you're going to develop as a coach, as your athletes develop right alongside you. Nine sections, 44 lessons, one hell of a workbook, I might add, uh, that includes no less than five Fast and Furious quotes to up your strength and conditioning prowess. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, no you're wrong. You're wrong. It's, I am wrong. There's only yeah. two. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> but but there is a little, fat, but there is a little uh, gun in 60 seconds in there. Let's go. Let's go. There is more movie quotes in this strength and conditioning volume than any other strength and conditioning volume this published. This is very true. Would you agree? Oh, man. Yeah, we, that's why we wrote it that way. I know. <laughs> well, we only speak in movie quotes. That'll happen. Yeah. That will yeah, happen. Caught, happen. Caught doing the repeater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's just those movie quotes happen to be super troopers. Five plus hours of video content. Man, if you if you were to just dig in and go every day, you probably get this sucker done in 30 days. But that's not how we want you to do it. We want you to apply it. You go at your own pace, on your own device, and you dig in, and you have up to a year to complete this thing. And it's mm-hmm. very rare that people don't. And then when they don't, let me tell you why they don't. They're like, oh, man, I started this. And just by the very nature of learning this stuff, I became better looking. And now I'm a professional model. So, like, that was one person that uh, 
spoke for everybody. That spoke for everybody. Yeah. So that's the only reason that you wouldn't finish it. Well, male models, idiot. I'm a model, idiot. But ladies and gentlemen, academy.powerathletehq.com. That's where you're going to learn all about that methodology course. And see a endorsement from our featured, That's I right. mean, our special guest. Special today. guest, Ron I, I, I don't think you guys asked me for a quote. No, no. What would you have to say Because my quotes are it? inside the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, people. Should we talk about us more? No. 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 They're, what, t- they're I'll tired. I'll tell you this. Everybody wants they to. are tired one, of one hearing quick, about us. One quick note. If you do go to iTunes to leave a review, read the other reviews because uh-huh. they're getting pretty ridiculous. Why? Like what? Uh, lots of rock star quotes, lots of just speaking of our value on movies versus anything to do with strength and conditioning. Like one guy is going to us for just movie banter that he used to have in his unit when he was deployed. Uh-huh. Not strength and conditioning information. Yeah, what well, so we don't have any good it's, shit. It's just reminding him of his, his good old time with his bros back in deployment you know who has nothing to do with strength you know who hasn't given us a review yet penguins <laughs> i wonder if any penguins are gonna show up and talk about how they, well, were, they were liberated well, from antarctica due well to their we did we did that strength and conditioning seminar in antarctica and we worked with penguins i mean toes forward mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i wonder if any penguins you know the weird part is is they don't really have knees Man, could you imagine if we got a review that was along the lines of like, hey, I'm a penguin. I fucking love this podcast. You know what? Until they came along and taught me toes forward, I was walking duck-footed because I have no knees. Now, How embarrassing. <laughs> now they walk penguin-footed. Uh, uh, well, okay. okay. This could be the last one, people. <laughs> we could get voted inappropriate for being absolutely moronic. Um, luckily, we have the saving grace of guests like Mon- Ron McKeefrey, who is right around the corner after we tell this one extra story about... Antarctica. Just kidding. All right, let's do it. Everybody ready? Ready, ready? Ready. Go. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the places we've been in from your kitchen to this room where it looked like something out of like a CIA, you know, holding tank. Without a doubt, the best the best was the SoCal office. Like, could you imagine if we were on a podcast when that one dude who looked like he was from like the fucking Reservoir Dogs walked in with yeah. the black eye and the, yeah. like the ponytail and leather coat just wandered in through he was, the back bay door of our gym, Ron, and just like it. walked right into the office in Southern California, Costa Mesa, and he's like, I, I don't even. No, let me set the set the stage. The guy's about six foot four, maybe about two hundred and fifteen, two hundred twenty pounds, kind of tall, skinny dude. Uh, scraggly beard, long ponytail, pulled back, balding. Um, <laughs> he had a fucking bloody, like a, you know, like a day old bloody lip, uh, big ass, like a uh, black eye was wearing like a wife beater with a leather coat with like a gold chain and track pants. Good Lord. And the dude walks in and it's like, I want to say it was pretty early in the morning, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like nine. I and this to- guy walks oh, in and is like, Hey, I'm just checking these units out. And uh, wanted to look around your spot, and like I like I kind of like heard it, and I I turn and I see the look on Callie's face, which is like, oh fuck, like like this dude is like something out of a movie, and I fucking turn around and I see this dude, and he's got some like other shady black dude with him, and at that point, like uh, I don't have a or my gun was in the car or I would have pulled it, but uh, I fucking grabbed a um, that fucking knife that I had that's like a baton. And I like stand up and I'm like uh, fucking ready to get fucking kill this dude for and uh, yeah to set the scene for listeners you know the it was the John Wellborn equivalent of the hair standing up on the back of a fucking gnarly ass pit bull I'm like okay this like insert Michael Jackson meme eating uh, you know popcorn. I, 
even though that's probably culturally insensitive with all the MJ stuff. But nah, Thriller's still cool. Yeah. yeah. Nonetheless, like I'm like, oh shit, this is gonna go. I feel pretty safe here. John's up there. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna kill this dude. Like it I, was. It, like, it? Uh, I fucking basically ran, told that dude to get the fuck out of there before I fucking killed him. I mean, it was like, there was no escalation of force. It was like, you know how the cops, like, something goes down and they go to a 10? I was ready to fucking, like, basically, like, fight this dude to the death within yeah. a step. Not me. I was like, there's the sliding door. I'll just... I'll it was... Uh, I mean, dude, if you would have seen this cat, like, it was something out of a movie. Like, the dude had just got his ass beat, like, like some... Uh, just a bad deal. It's got like, to be, like, the longest yard, right, where you're sitting down and all of a sudden you stand up and the guy, dude, you just keep rising and the dude's... Oh, well, dude, I, when I turned in and, and the look of fear on Callie's face was like, and I, I remember being like, what? And then I see the dude and I'm like, oh, shit, man, this is a shakedown. Like, I, I seriously thought they were coming in to rob us or something. A shakedown, oh. a motherfucking breakdown. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, dude, it was a fucking bad. Like, and then the crazy part is, is uh, where we are in Costa Mesa, if you drew a beeline between this area that's called the jungle. So what they did is a lot of like the homeless and the displaced in Orange County, the cops kind of like ushered them down by the Santa Ana river and they were living in this like installment down there by the river, like a camp. And there was dude at any one point, I think there was like a few thousand of them down there and they get all whacked out on drugs and the cops just like, as long as they stayed there, it was okay. But it was like periodically they would make a line from like where they were to like Costa Mesa, Newport beach where all like the, like the stores and the restaurants are. And they had to like walk through our parking lot. So all of a sudden we'd be there at six in the morning training and like, that's always good. Like, yeah. uh, like zombie vampires, like three days on meth, just like wandering, like around our building, just like swimming in garbage cans. And like, I'm like, oh my God, dude. Just a normal day. Yeah. You have two options in that scenario. You have two options, Ron. And I think, you know, number one is the route that we took, which is like, just protect, like protect the layer. And then our neighbor down the street and, and next door who did some T-shirt stuff for us was like, just welcome them in. Yeah. <laughs> just welcome them in. And they're like, yeah, we're good with the zombie meth people. Like, that's Charlie. He's great. Yeah. We give him like, so, you know, they, they want like Mike and Ike's and candy. I'm like, what the fuck? He's like, yeah, make sure I always have Mike and Ike's. I really like that. I'm like, like he had like the Halloween Mike and Ike's and would give it to him. And I'm like, dude, stop feeding the, the you know, the stray bears. The zombies. Yeah, the zombies. They come back. Oh, yeah. It was... um the day we left and drove out of that place, I remember thinking, thank God, this didn't happen soon enough. Well, it seems like the, uh, seems like the farms come together, man, huh? Oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's, um, yeah, we don't have to worry about zombies. That's true. Because if the zombies wander on property in Texas, it's like the walking dead. <laughs> fucking just machete to the fucking brain. Yeah, no, they're uh, in Texas. I yeah, believe right. it's a uh, purple fence post. So if there's a purple fence post, it's um, they've been signaled that this is a you know private area. Do not access. And so I think, um, you know, they have castle doctrine. And I was reading all these laws when I went through my concealed gun class. And it's like, you know, your castle extends to your vehicle. Uh, anybody, you know, there's. Texas is very, you know, liberal on that stuff, at least on the books. I can't imagine if you actually had to execute any of it or execute anyone. I'm sure it would be less, less fun. Yeah, right. Yeah, but Texas is an interesting place. So, Ron, what's going on, man? Not much. Staying super busy lately. You know, um, like we just talked about off camera a little bit. I just got back from England. We had a clinic there. Um, spoke at that event. Worked with a couple teams while I was there. And, and, uh, you know, between that and, and all the things we got going on with play performance, it's, it's, it's keeping me busy. Nice. 
So for listeners who may be early adopters, not like some of the folks we met this last weekend who've been listening since episode 50, a uh, boy Gil, right? Uh, Ron, you were on, you're, this is your third time, the yes. Trinity. So, yeah. Yeah, 194 yeah. and 161. So in case anyone hasn't listened to those or doesn't know, you know, what you're dabbling in and who the heck you are, Ron, can you give a, like a little elevator pitch? Yeah, sure. Been strength coach for uh, close to 25 years now. I coached uh, most of my my career in the NFL and, and collegiate um, football, and left uh, collegiate uh, about three years ago to essentially start a company within Play called Play Perform. And Play, as most people know, is a is a flooring company that that specializes in, in putting in uh, you know elite flooring, track, turf weight room floors and, and facilities around the world, but they wanted to start, you know, very much like Nike's a shoe company, they, their performance brand. They wanted to, they always saw themselves as a performance brand. So they brought me in to run and develop a, a performance and education element of the company. And that's evolved into, you know, on the education side, we have our, our labs, our clinics, we have um, a, a, an app, a platform, an education platform that's pretty cool. We're partnered with certifications to be able to offer those around the world. And then on the performance side, uh, we have remote coaching. We have uh, consulting and customization, which is a lot, a lot of what I do, work with teams going in and designing programs and uh, teaching it to the coaches and then helping the coaches teach it to the athletes. And then, uh, then we have coaching services where we, we supply coaches. We have 29 coaches over in China right now. We've got coaches and Mexico and, uh, and all around the U S and, um, it's really developed into a pretty cool, uh, model and business that that's, uh, keeping me quite busy. Sounds like a man wrangling the cats, wrangling the coaches. That's exactly cool. right. Oh, okay. But you know, when I, when I, I think what, what's most important is, is, is John and I, and every, you know, Luke and Tex, we've all talked before. I mean, um, I started in NFL Europe I, early in my career. I coached over in NFL Europe. And that was the first time I'd ever been out of the country, um, much less really out of the state even almost. And um, went over to Berlin, Germany for, for four months and coached over there. And it opened up and made the world a really small place in that time. And since then, I've spoken around the world. We adopted our four kids internationally. Um, and so having and making a global impact was super important. It's been super important to me. And and using kind of the abilities that, you know, God's given me, you know, which is strength and conditioning to, to, to make that impact. Um, that's what's been, you know, that's why I left. That's ultimately why I left um, college athletics, pro athletics is uh, felt like I was bigger than the four walls of a weight room. You know, God intended for me to be bigger than the four walls of the weight room. And, um, and I wanted to make that, that global impact, you know, and so it's been, uh, it's been fun building that and seeing where that's, where that's gone. So was that like a gradual progression and realization or was it a, was there a moment you kind of saw the vision and you knew, you knew you wanted to pivot? You know, I, I, I went from the Cincinnati Bengals to uh, Eastern Michigan, which was, you know, when we got there, they had just, you know, they had had a player murdered on the team from the city. It was, it was outside Detroit. It's not a great, it's not a great area. Head coach had been fired for verbally abusing the players. There, there was, 52 of the 78 kids had tested positive for drugs. There was a racism incident on campus. 
there's all these things, the problems um, that you can imagine and, and basically a place that you would never go if you were coming from the NFL, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, places like that. I mean, there's, there's a verse in the Bible talks about, you don't throw light into the light, you throw light into the darkness. You know, and I think it's easy as coaches to coach the kids that, that are, um, that want to, that want to train, that want to work hard, that want to win. You know, it's, it's a lot harder to coach the kids that, that, you know, they have that kind of, poverty mentality you know they 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 don't they don't know how to win they don't know how to to do those types of things and you go back to some of carol dewick's work with you know growth mindset versus fixed mindset and some of those types of things and um man it was a challenge that i ran to you know ultimately and the head coach ran to it and within three years we got it to a bowl game and it's been two bowl games in the last three years and it's a program that hadn't had a winning season in over 20 years not even a winning season let alone bowl games. And so once we did that, once we kind of felt like we got it turned, then it was like, now what, you know, it's something where kind of got to run in on all cylinders. And, um, you know, you look at your career and you say, I can go back to the NFL. I can go to, you know, major college. I turned down a couple really key jobs at that time and, um, felt like it was just more important things, you know, for, from a legacy type of standpoint than, to just show up to the weight room every day and, and basically have something that go that was going on all four cylinders. Man. Yeah. It's, um, what, um, can you reflect a little bit on, on some of the tactics if possible that you use to turn that, that deal around? Cause I'm, th- I'm thinking like the closest thing we've hit to that, like a, such a, I guess a dark area, not necessarily in terms of the violence or potentially like that dark of a culture, but just, a dark spot is the PE programs that we've tried oh. to like flip, you know, and here in Texas, Ron, we've worked with a few districts who are, you know, leadership is doing their best to, to empower the Texas PE system to, to bring it back to a core curriculum, which means like kids go and they get to go and get credit for it. But man, I'll tell you, those coaches in there have just been beat down, you know? Right. Well, it's a cultural thing. Like, and I, I don't mean like cultural in terms of like, Hey, let's go experience Indian food. But it, I think uh, over time when, uh, there's like a culture of kind of, um, everything just kind of brushed aside, like it doesn't matter. I think after a while people, you know, and it all it takes is like one or two iterations. I mean, you think in college football, uh, really, you know, a class gets done in about four years, maybe five if they redshirt. So if you think about like uh, how quickly a college program changes, it can be as quick as like two or three years. Mm-hmm. You know, think about if you bring in a bad draft cl- class and all of a sudden, like, you know, after the first year, half of those guys are gone. And then the guys that stay are kind of, I mean, to use a, uh, a familiar term, uh, Ronald Noah, the shitbirds, as they're commonly referred to in college and professional sports. So, and then those guys stay and then that culture comes and then they infect some of the younger guys. And then finally you get those guys out of there and you bring in a coach, you know, strength coach and, you know, coaches that really have a, like a, a very kind of low tolerance for bullshit and to get rid of those guys. And like, man, like I've seen college programs where they just wholesale, uh, fucking get rid of dudes. Cause they're like, fuck man, they're poisoning the team. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, going into the situation Ron was like, you have these guys that are indoctrinated into this culture and they've had two or three generations and you almost have to like bring in some pretty good guys and then like kind of nurse them along and just hope the other guys fucking wash out. And um, it's just, yeah. And it takes, you know, two or three, four years and hopefully the, you know, the coach comes in and stays and, you know, nothing crazy happens. And then all of a sudden you see this like change in culture and it it happens relatively quickly. 
that, that's the word right there. I mean, culture is everything. And I think so many times as coaches, that's the hard part, right? We think it's about the X's and O's and we think it's about sets and reps. And, and ultimately, if you don't create a culture um, to support your vision, it, it doesn't matter, you know? And to answer your question, Luke, I think, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's two authors, Chip and Dan Heath. I don't know if you guys have read any of their books, but they have, um, they have four books and, and all four books are in my top five that I recommend coaches read. Um, but they have a book called Switch it's all about changing a culture. And in that culture, they give the, they give the visualization of a, a man riding an elephant down a path. And the man represents the, the, the rational mind. The, the elephant is this, the emotional side of things. And the, and they, uh, the path is the situational world, right? They, um, and so as a coach, you have to, you, you, so many times we want to speak only to the rational mind. We have these people that go in and they go into the inner city schools, they go into the bad situations and they start talking about all the things they should be doing. And they think they're just speaking rationally, people are going to jump in and, and do that. Right. And what they don't do is speak to that emotional side. They don't motivate that elephant. If that elephant wants to go right down that path, it's going to go right. It doesn't matter what the man on top wants to do. So if that, if that athlete, you tell them that they should be drinking water and they want to drink that big Coke or that, that Bud Light, they're going to drink the Bud Light if, if the emotional side is, is where they want to be. And you have to provide, you have to tap into that emotion and find a way. So it wasn't just about winning with a team that hasn't won in 20 years, right? It was togetherness. I mean, out of those, out of those, those 52 or the 78 players, we didn't lose anybody. They all wanted to be there. They, you know, and so we had to tap into that. Um, and then that's the, the third part of that is, is the, the situational world or that, you know, that you, you have to remove obstacles. So there's a lot of obstacles that were in place. A lot of people that were in place that didn't believe in them. There wasn't, they weren't set up for success. And so you had to remove some of those things for them to have success. So little things like the, the strength coach before me is a great guy, did his best. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, uh, we didn't do anything better or worse or those types of things, but they had a problem of guys showing up late or not showing up at all for workouts, right? That was a barrier. And so their solution was to create eight different lift times and they would have eight lift groups, right? And so now they had no excuse to make a, to not make a lift. And what would happen is, is those players would be, you know, they'd be sitting there and one buddy was, you know, sitting in his underwear eating freaking cornflakes watching TV and his, his other roommate was in this, in this room with his girlfriend and both of those things sounded better than going and getting a butt kicked at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. In, in, in the freezing cold, right? So we just made it. So there was two groups. You know, was, we took it. We took the the, the the decision process out, and you know, one group lifted and one group met, and all their friends were in the building, and we just flipped it. And we didn't have, you know, and it took a day, and we didn't have any problems with guys not showing up. Well, it's uh, the issue you run into and, you know, having obviously been in that situation as a young kid, almost like the, and we see this with my own kids, uh, the least amount of decisions I can put up to them and just like, you know, give the uh, voluntold like, hey, uh, like there's no decisions like, hey, you're going to wear this. This is what you're having for lunch. Because if you give them an opportunity to have input on the decisions, one, nothing will get done and we will waste a ton of time. And like, I always think like, uh, you know, uh, thank God when I went to college, like, Hey, this is what you're going to do. And like, I don't really remember me having a lot of opportunity for decision other than like, Hey, what major am I going to teach? Like right. we had to be there this. And there was a, a very, 
well, at least I perceived it. And I think back on this now, I perceived it as like, they, it was very like cut or dry. You're either there, you're not, and you're in trouble if you're not. And as I got older, I realized that uh, certain players depended on who you were. And this is pretty awful at Cal. I don't think it's this way anymore. But the certain players, like the higher the level of the player or dependent on, you know, how they recruited you or whatever, uh, certain guys uh, had uh, more, I guess you could say, uh, latitude than other people. You know, I like, you know, we had a really, you know, demanding taskmaster as a coach and there was no bullshit you either show up you do it or you're fucking out of there and then right. all of a sudden i come to find out that there's like that's not how it is for everybody and i remember thinking like thank god i wasn't like a young guy with like opportunity or knew that i could fucking bullshit because a bunch yeah, right. of those guys that were you know not doing what they needed to do and coaches kind of let them slide for whatever reason ended up not graduating and not playing and then all the guys that were pretty switched on ended up graduating and going on and playing in the nfl it's right. uh it, you know, and, and I, I remember like as a young guy, I remember sitting around the dorms, with all these guys and every single person in that room there other than me was, and this is funny, was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just here to go to the NFL. What about you? I'm like, I don't know anybody went to NFL. I don't really like to watch it. I just want to get this degree and I got to play football for a free degree. I'm like, I'm fucking in. And yeah, right. uh, like, I, you know, and all those guys that were just hyper focused on going to the NFL Fucking not, I don't remember, I, I didn't graduate with a single one of them, and not one of them, maybe one of the dudes got a chance to go play in the NFL. And right. um, just, it's it's such a uh, an interesting thing, and, you know, especially for, um, I've told this guy this like the, a million times, that uh, the worst thing you can do is give an 18 to 22-year-old kid this opportunity, because they don't have enough, in, like, they don't have enough information, they don't have enough experience, they just don't have enough age to realize the opportunity that they have. And it's not until they're like 36 or 40 years old that they realize like, oh, I really fucked that up. Right. You know, well, there's such a big difference, you know, especially nowadays with, you know, again, you don't want to sound like a crotchety old man. Right. But, no, you can do it. I totally love it. With social media and, and all the bullshit <laughs> that kind of comes with, you know, so, you know, the kind of the self-promotion and whatnot is there really is a problem with delusion. Right. People. You know, people are delusional and, they, you know, and, they, and they have to feel like they have to put on this kind of fake face in front. And I think the, the, the conversation or the or the, the art of having the difficult conversation is almost it's becoming a lost art. You know, and all the great coaches that John, you had and I had and the guys that we all know together. I mean, the guys that were great at, at getting those co- those players to buy in were the ones that, you know, didn't put up with the bullshit and defined good. You know, when you define good, it doesn't, you know, as a coach, I want every single one of my players to go to the NFL, every single one of them, you know, and I could be that dream killer and, and, and see that young kid come in and be like, man, you're, you're just not good. You're just not going to be good enough. You're just, I can, I know in four years, I know what you're going to become. You're not going to be good enough. But what I would always do, is I would, I would be that dream builder. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you couldn't do it because if you would have told me that I wouldn't, I wasn't going to ever make it in the NFL as an NAIA college football player. You would have told me that. I still would have. I would have cut you off. Where did you play your college ball? I played at Ottawa, a little small school in Kansas. Okay. You know? But I, but I thought just like everybody, I thought. Shit, I was man, I, I knew a bunch of NAA guys. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jermaine Mayberry played at uh, you know A and uh, M Kingsville, and so I knew I knew a fairly decent amount of guys that, that came out of there, and it just was this deal where, you know, hey, it doesn't matter where you come from, can you do the job? You can try out with the chiefs. I mean, I had, I had a, a chance, but I wasn't good enough, you know, but if you would have told me that I would have written you off, you know, and, but what I try to do with my players is I, I tried to find good. I'd take those NFL combine standards and I would say, Hey, look, you know, that you're, uh, 
you're, you're saying you want to go to the NFL, great. The, the average vertical jump is 32, you know, at, at whatever, at, the, at linebacker or whatever it is, or, you know, defensive end really probably for that. Um, and you're at 18. So we got a little work to do, you know, and, and who now what becomes what happens now is instead of me being the guy that's the, the guy that makes you uncomfortable every time you walk into the weight room, um, I've now become the only guy in the building that can help you reach your goals. You know, if your goal is to go to the NFL, now I'm the only guy in the building that can help you do that. And so when you're taking around at the, at the water cooler, I can go over there and I don't have to just freaking cuss you out, but I can sit there and say, Hey man, you, didn't you tell me that your goal was to go to the NFL? If, if that was your goal, then, you know, do you think that sitting over here at the water cooler or dancing is, is helping you get, you know, increase that vertical, that bench or that 40 or whatever it may be. And, and it's having those difficult conversations. But I mean, I, to your point, John, I think you've got early on, especially whenever you take over a situation or early on in the year, when you've lost those that senior class or you're redefining your team, you have to be coach led. You can't be player led and you have to take the ambiguity out of the decision-making process. I mean, my wife just bought a car that, you know, not too long ago and we're sitting there and I'm like, you can get whichever car you want. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. And, and we got it narrowed down to the same car, but a black and a white one. And she picked the black one. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, I'm absolutely sure. So we drive off the damn lot and like a block later, she's like, oh man, I should have got the white one. No, <laughs> no, you know why? Because it shows the dirt more. The black car always shows the dirt. No, man, but it looks good. Yeah, only when it's clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's true. Yeah, I, uh, that decision that, that you know, there's always uh, anxiety with a decision-making process. You know, and so when you got those young athletes or those athletes that can't that can't push for themselves, you have to take that. You have to remove that barrier. You have to take that barrier out of their out of their situational world. So that they can have some success. Where did um, not to change you up a little bit, but uh, where did you run into Rafael Ruiz? I saw Raf speaking at one of your play events coming up. Yeah, so Raf and, and I, uh, and I was laughing, thinking, you know, you pulled old Rafael Ruiz out. I mean, uh, Raf's fucking. I always joke, dude, Raf, and if he's, I know he's not listening to this, so I'll say it. He's probably the best strength coach that people would be like, who is that guy? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm always like, man, like it's uh, freaking Yoda, man. You don't know yeah. about him. Yeah, no, he, dude, I, I met Roth when I was 23 years old and, uh, I, I, like I thought he was 40 and he turned out he was 25, which I still laugh about. But yeah, I mean, I've almost you know, 20 years I've known Roth and still one of the best in the business. Yeah. Raph and I were, um, we're same age and we, and I was an intern for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then I became a part-time assistant and Raph would help us out with training camp, you know? And, and so he would come in and we, we, it was a traditional high intensity, uh, training program, one set to failure, you know, and, and for training camps and camp situations, we would set up a line and you would just go right down the line. And so oh, we would, I do. We that, this was the Eagles for us, man. Uh, with yeah. Mike Wolf, it was one set to failure, one, two, and three. Yeah. You pick whichever one. And, and so, you know, Raph would come in and, and he would run one of the stations and usually he was right next to me because my name was Ron and his name was Raph. And, um, you know, we would, uh, we would sit there and talk. And what I always appreciated about him was he, you know, I mean, I was, I was a young coach and, and I think every young coach goes through this where I grew up training with Istvan Javoric and the Javoric complexes and weightlifting and, and competed in weightlifting. And that's what I did through college. And then I get to the NFL and I'm like, well, shit, it's the NFL, right? They're doing something right. And, and they were doing traditional high intensity. So I, basically kind of flipped my script and said, okay, well, this makes sense too, right? 
And Raph, as long as I've known him, that dude is just, he just challenges the status quo. He just will not, he will not settle for just a, a blanket answer. He's always going to go and kind of push the envelope. And he would do that and it would piss off our head strength coach. Um, but, but I also respected it, you know, and, and he always did it in a, in a respectful way. And, um, but, you know, it was also like, you know, here's a, here's a kid, a kid, I mean, 20, we're 22 years old at the time. Here's a kid challenging a guy that's been in the NFL for 16 years, you know, and, and, uh, and basically like, I, I, I'm, I know it as much as you do. You know, and and which I, you know, I, that part of it, I was like, man, I don't, you know, I kind of cringe a little bit. But to see what that guy's done through his his career, and you're right, I mean, he's one of the best kept secrets in strength conditioning. Yeah, if he could have just played better, and I always joke with him, I'm like, Roth, if you could have just played better with others, play nice, play yeah, nice, he be he nice. he would have been like a and a, like a head strength coach at so many different places. And the hilarious part is, all the all of Roth's interns have since gone on and become like head strength coaches. So I uh, like it's it's just uh yeah I dude he I love Ralph and uh but man he uh too much but he yeah I love him dude uh I always think like someday I'll be able to unite forces with him again but he uh I mean dude uh, it's that challenging the status quo yeah, right in yeah. certain spaces you kind of got to stick to the script. Yeah. I mean uh or, you, you know we we talked together for years with, with uh when I was doing the CrossFit gig and like it was, uh, you know, Ruff gets up there and he's trying to teach like, uh, you know, PhD masters type stuff. And I'm like, yo man, we're just teaching fire to cavemen. Yeah, right. like, we're still trying to convince crossfitters that putting a periodized strength yeah. template into a training program will reap dividends over randomly applying strength principles that have, you know, that aren't really principles that are just kind of ad hoc. And right. I remember Ruff being like, oh, I'm like, dude, we're just teaching firemen to make like like uh, cavemen to make fire, bro. Like we don't have to like, you know, get into quantum mechanics. And uh, I just like it's pretty interesting when you really think of like um, like the strength conditioning world in terms of digestion. Uh, everybody wants to teach at the top of the bell curve because those athletes and that information is the most jiggy shit. And for the right. most part, like. You know, it's like uh, I had a guy hit me up the other day and he was like, you know, what about like, you know, uh, inclined concentration flies for building like upper chest? And I was like, OK, so after you bench press heavy and maybe do heavy incline for like 20 years right? and you've done thousands of reps and you want to like, you know, define maybe your upper clavicle muscle in terms of like physique development. But like, you know, have you done the body work on the front side? And it's probably everybody always wants to go to the super jiggy stuff. And it's like. You know, the compound basics, you know, and, and I did uh, I did that high intensity stuff. And ironically, when I, I'd come out of Todd Rice's program, which was, uh, you know, snatch, clean and jerk, uh, you know, only based strength program. And then I go to the Eagles with Wolfie and those guys who were Penn State cats and we're in this high intensity deal. And the crazy part is I got way stronger. I, it just I mean, and it was because I would actually go through the line. I would go through all three lines every day. I'd get right. down and they're like in 12 minutes. I'd be like, can we do the other one? They'd be like, yeah, sure. And I'd just like load that shit up and do accentuated yeah. negatives and a bunch of stuff. And uh, I got stronger probably because it was just a different adaptation. But the other yeah. thing, and this is the, and you know this dealing in the NFL, is when you have the best players in the world, it doesn't really matter what you do. They're probably going to get better. Great. And so that's yeah. why, like, whenever we have, like, NFL strength coaches come out or, you know, you hear them present or whatever, I'm like, yo, man, like, uh, go to like Eastern Michigan and, and and put your program in and get those guys all to the NFL or this, or, you know, go to a community college and, you know, get these guys ready. You know, if you're at like, uh, you know, 
a you know playoff team every year in the NFL and you have you know the salary cap and to be able to go out and get the best I'm pretty sure whatever you put in play is going to get people ready so right. yeah I think there's no doubt about it I think to me philosophies and training conditioning are they're just interpretations right and I think you know every interpretation has a place in the development process I think what what strength coaches fail to realize is that if I, you know, they, they, they identify with something because of their own personal training. So where they're at in their own development or their own maturation, maybe triphasics working for them, or maybe, you know, uh, five, three, one's working for them, or maybe it's cube method or whatever it is, right. It's working for them. So they, they adopt that. And that's what they try to impose on their athletes as opposed to looking at it and saying, I, I agree with you hundred percent, John. I mean, with my freshmen and sophomores, they were going to do a high intensity program because I needed to put size and mass on them and strength. And, you know, now I would combine that what what, what we didn't always do in the NFL with those guys is with a really solid movement program, you know, to support that. Right. But, um, but there is no better way to develop size and strength and mass than, you know, just true hypertrophy and going to momentary muscular fatigue, you know, and then, now you start to add the speed component, the dynamic component, and you start to, you know, you start to develop, um, some of those more athletic based type skills, you know, but um, I think so many times we, we, we focus on what's right for us and, and what's not. I think, you know, one thing that, you know, not to, to go back to Raph, you know, too much, but one thing that I think that he does is he, he looks at it as a 360 degree type of athlete, 360 degree approach. And, you know, it's, it's more of asking the questions and focusing on the deficiencies than it is, saying, okay, here's your, your cut and paste program, go to work. Yeah. Rob Steele was more, um, very similar. Like he was more interested in what you can't do. And he's like, I know what you can do. Here's what you can't do. And when you can do what you can't do, then all of a sudden what you do is better. And I remember like, he said that to me and I'm like, that makes no fucking sense. And he's like, 60% of the time works every time. But, uh, I remember the training got super varied. Like, uh, I remember when I got to the point where I could just do everything, like all of a sudden we were like, uh, he's like, Hey, let's go to the pool. And we brought a bunch of 45 pound plates to the pool. And we were like holding the plates in the bottom of the pool, trying to jump like, you know, 10 feet up and drive the, the plates out. And I remember like, what's this one? And he's like, ah, oh, well, we're working on, you know, holding our breath and, you know, hypoxic states. And he went through all this shit. And then finally I like, listened to him like, you just wanted to do something fucking hard. He's like, yeah, in a different environment. And he's yeah. like, it's something fun to change the training and this. And he, that was what was so cool about the training was uh, every year when I would go and I would come back, I would always, uh, as we started doing stuff, I'm like, well, what about that stuff we used to do? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, how come we don't do that anymore? He's like, it's, you can do it. He's like, believe me, like the day that you can do something, like it's not as if you lost that skill. We just have to find different ways to challenge it. Like uh, I remember I got like 10 pull-ups with like 90 pounds between my waist. And um, I came in the next week and he had unbolted the the pull-up structure. So I jumped up there and the whole thing almost fucking tipped on me. And I was like, dude, it's unbolted. He's like, yeah, we're going to find a way to make it harder. And so then I had to like somehow stabilize his fucking pull-up structure to do pull-ups. And sure enough, like there was always, and then that's when we got into accentuated negatives and like pre-fatiguing. And he's like, man, he goes, the problem is, is that, uh, everybody has this traditional model for overload. Like, Hey, if you can do 90, let's try to do a hundred and this, he was like, once we got to a point, we had to go back and find new ways to challenge. And I remember those training experiences, um, 
really. I mean, between, you know, what Todd Rice did with like kind of the class goalie stuff and then what I had before was Angus and then Roth and, and then what I, you know, uh, you know, the Charlie Francis of the world and all the other people I trained with really formulated what you see here in power athlete in that there's a, uh, a nonlinear approach to this stuff. I mean, there's a point at which, you know, the straight line is the best you know, best way to go. But when you get to the point where you it's have not, to, yeah. yeah, yeah. Until it ends. And then you have to find different ways to attack this stuff. And, um, you know, dude, it was, when I think back on that training, there's a few things I'm, uh, I'm upset about. One is that we didn't have, uh, cell phones the way they are today with like cameras and video and all that. Cause there was so much amazing shit. Like we had a group of about 15 or 20 NFL guys that showed up and trained every day. You know, Jeff Mitchell, Ed Muitalo, myself, John McLaughlin. I mean, all these guys that were high level NFL guys all showed up and trained. Um, there was no video. We didn't have like, we never called a video dude to come take it. We didn't tape anything. Like Roth wrote it down. I don't even remember like, uh, sets and reps or nothing. Um, uh, like I just am extremely upset. And then second of all, uh, the fact that I didn't have a website to like post some of the, like the information to keep as like a diary. Like I yeah. wrote stuff down in, in, in my journals and like in my, but then when I moved from Tampa, I, I don't know what the hell happened to all that stuff. Right. Uh, I, I actually lost it in a flood when my downstairs in Kansas city flood, my, uh, a sump pump went out and there was a big rain and like we got shot, we got shot by lightning and the whole thing shut down and it flooded my lower, uh, my, my basement and I lost everything. But like that, I just remember like that nonlinear approach or finding ways to challenge athletes in non-conventional ways really just became the foundation of a lot of what we do. And, uh, still to this day, when I see what Roth is doing, he's looking for new ways to challenge people in non-conventional ways. When you, when you look at, I mean, that's the difference right now. So, I mean, most of my career has been spent working with elite football, but my, what, what I'm doing now is I'm working with Olympic level athletes and, and professional rugby players and, um, around the world, you know? And so I had to go back through that whole needs analysis and really figure out like what's going to work for these guys and the sports that I wasn't familiar with. I mean, and really didn't put a lot of value in, but you, you know, you want to talk about like a pain cave, go do a 2000 meter row on a freaking in a boat on a lake, right? That's, that's about as painful as it gets, you know? And um, you, you look at elite athletes, the difference between, you know, the next tier down, so that elite college football player or that, that you know, that non-draft pick or whatever it is, isn't, isn't some of the physical attributes, you know? It really is their ability to adapt, you know? to to different stimuluses both mentally and physically you know and so i think the i think the where a lot of coaches miss the boat especially why a lot of coaches hate going to the nfl when they get there they, they think they want to get there because of the the, the the t-shirt right but then they get there and they're like oh man this sucks they don't want to work or they don't want to do this and they don't want to do that and the, the challenge of getting them to buy into something and really and, and to and to want to work hard that manipulation that kind of takes place and manipulation has a negative connotation but it's positive, and, and if you're trying, if your intent is good, um, that part of it is that's the fun part, you know. And so, with those elite athletes, it's it's first showing them some success, right? You're getting a more informed consumer. They've had success with something, so you have to give them familiarity and let them see some success. But then it's challenge. Then you got to be like, oh man, you, you, I don't want you doing that because I don't think you can do that yet. Oh bullshit! I'll what do you? I'll go do that right now. You know, and, and all of a sudden it's this game that you play to get them to, to try new adaptations. And, and when you do it that way, man, those guys are freaking, they're phenomenal. 
Can you talk about your first coaching experience internationally? Because I imagine those are extremely highly effective athletes, but they're not very trained. So they can do amazing things, but then when we ask them to do basic barbell stuff, you know, it's new to them. So talk about that first assumptions that you went into your international coaching gigs. Yeah, I mean, the first, the first time I coached anybody internationally was in NFL Europe, and we had five German players that were on the on the roster. You know, so we had a, a elite soccer player that played in the Bundesliga. Um, that was a kicker that freaking had a panic. We'd have to knock him out to get on the plane and have a panic attack every time we we were getting on, getting on and off. Uh, we had the top three hundred meter dash winners for for the German national team. Um, on the, uh, on the roster. And, you know, like I, I messed those guys up. I mean, these guys were elite sprinters and I was trying to make them football players and doing <laughs> hypertrophy type stuff. But I think now, I mean, to answer your question a little bit now, it's, I really have to go in and that's where like what you guys do and, and with your methodology and really looking at and defining athleticism and what the sport specific demands are, um, really is what's super smart because I mean that's what that's essentially what I had to do I had to go and I had to watch uh, a rowing you know a, a rowing regatta and then turn around and have to get in the boat and actually do it and then feel it and then and then start to figure out okay uh, man when I woke up I felt like shit here here and here let me how do I you know how do I fix that and then how do I you know how do I keep my wind how do I keep my posture and how do I keep my balance you know and those are the things that were important in the boat which wouldn't have been things that I would have thought of as a strength coach going into a weight room and just saying, here we go, you know, and, uh, you know, and then I've gotten, you know, in the last, you know, I've never had, I never had um, hobbies, you know, going, going through my coaching career. But now that I've actually have a little bit of time when I'm home, I've, I've really gotten into mountain biking and jujitsu, you know, and so going through and jujitsu as a 43 year old man, it's like, I'm having to figure out, how my body works in that environment and what feels, you know, what feels good, what doesn't, what I, how do I need to prep? I mean, I'm, I'm at the gym 30 minutes before just prepping so I can, I don't hurt myself in the first five minutes. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I think it, it really comes down to, um, I think you have to experience it to some degree and I think you have to watch it and, and then really then a trained eye can put together a good program, I think. I remember years ago, I got reached out to by uh, Aussie Rules football team. You know, we had worked with rugby league, rugby union guys all the time, and, uh, you know, which is a very similar demand for football. And I remember I got reached out to by one of our coaches in our network who was working with, um, I want to say, like, not their top level, but like one of the, you know, their feeder teams. And I remember him shooting me a bunch of video and then also like these pedometers of like how much, like how many uh, meters and, you know, kilometers they had, were running during game and in practice. And I want to say it was like 12 K they were running during a game and they were yeah. running anywhere from like 10 to 25 K during a practice. And like, it was just it, like, it blew my fucking mind, the amount of running these guys were doing. And then he sends me like the program that they had been following. It was like three sets of eight to 12 to 15 reps. And it was like 20 exercises. And it was like this, really shitty kind of light to medium volume, high volume, uh, like dumbbell bodybuilding, uh, training program. And like, I, like I remember just scratching my head and being like, like, 
you guys are probably like the highest level endurance athlete I've ever seen because like not only is it like a, an amazing amount of volume of running, but like it's high intensity running. Like you're there running like a, a two to 400 meter sprint. And as anybody knows, like the toughest, uh, yeah, like the toughest, uh, you know, the toughest competition that I've ever seen is the 800 meters. Like people that run the 800 meters are sadists. Like they want to yeah. hurt themselves. They want to hurt others. And, exactly. um, uh, I actually dated a girl who was an 800 meter runner. So I have Sounds a little, lovely. yeah, it, <laughs> it just, it takes a certain mindset and that's the mindset these guys were in. And I remember when, uh, he sent me all this information and I thought about it and I basically sent him this like single, double and triple, uh, you know, kind of like rep max deal. And they were doing some speed work, but with like a lot of plyos and everything was like less than five reps. I, th- I want to say like maybe like two or three compound movements and then, you know, basically a ton of jumping and, you know, some unilateral type movements just as an accessory. And I remember he said, he calls me and we get on Skype and he's like, dude, I'm going to get fired. If I show him this, this is completely contrary to everything that's taught within our sports system. And I'm like, right. yeah, man, this is what I would do. <clears throat> Submit it and see what they say. So he submits it. They almost fire him, but he somehow talks him into letting him do it. And then all of a sudden their injury rate went from like 30% down to like 3%. And they right. won their, you know, whole deal this year. And he gets, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, carried off. And, you know, this guy's, you know, presenting and going through this whole thing. He's coming out to Texas. He shot me an email. I got to fucking respond. To yeah. Him. Yeah. No. And, uh, uh, dude, he, he was like, man, like what were, you know, like, can you explain to me your mindset behind this? And I remember looking at it and being like, dude, there's energy systems associated with athletes. And the problem is, is if you're constantly going to the same pool all the time, eventually, you know, and yeah, and your training pool is there. Like, uh, like you guys are never challenging posture and position, you know, with full range of motion movements under a load that'll necessarily drive adaptation. And if speed's the goal, I mean, dude, you guys are getting so much conditioning and so much running in your sport. Why do you have to do that in the weight room? And, uh, you know, like, like that type of mentality to just go against the grain and do stuff. Um, it just, it seems intuitive to us. I just remember that, you know, most of the strength and conditioning in the world stems from NFL football and, yep. uh, you know, Australia and Europe is, uh, is really getting into this almost like practitioner sports scientist as a coach. And, uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating with the amount of research those guys are doing, but, you know, research is only good if you know how to apply it. You know, like yeah. I always go back to the NSAA thing where they were measuring, uh, VO two maxes on shrimp. They built like underwater treadmills and then we're measuring VO two max of shrimp with little backpacks. Well, you are what you eat. So fit shrimp, right? I don't eat shrimp. Uh, well, let's cancel the podcast. I finally did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the end of it. Uh, but like that, that type of stuff, man. And it's, uh, um, it's I, like, in, and like you said, man, like to get in the boat and to have done the sport, I always caught, you know, I, I always tell people, I'm like, man, if you're going to program something or you're going to ask an athlete to do it, you better have at least walked a mile in their shoes. And you right. better like, you know, that's why I think we've had such success with some of our, with uh, a lot of our programs in that we actually do this stuff. And like, we had a workout today and people were asking me how to game it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to game, but this is how I'm going to do it. And they're like, you're doing this. I'm like, yeah, what do you think? I'm going to fucking not let you guys do it. I did not do it. Yeah. I did some squats and sprints, <laughs> and it's called shrimp fit. <laughs> it took about 45 seconds. I could get it in there. Well, it was funny. Bro. Luke went out and run, and he came in. He's like, I'm so fucking out of shape. Oh, man. I've been Plugging holes. dealing with a hip, just big drama hip guy. But I sprint, thought you were a neck guy. Uh, neck guy. I'm hip neck guy. And then I was an ankle guy for a while. I just got, you know, even the Mona Lisa falls apart. Right? Uh, but I had six up talls and falls with a, a five-step start. And I'm like, I'm fucking ghosted. It was bad. It was pretty bad. With, Ron, you and I talked about 
experience and coaching experience in that international opportunity that, that your guys are, are going through, it's amazing because there's top-level athletes that no way as a United States strength coach you can touch right at their level of experience, but internationally you get exposed, the opportunity to work with high-level soccer, sprint, any, any sport internationally, right? So talk to us, expand on that opportunity. How did you get contacted to start empowering these coaches and what it, what all of it, what it encompasses this whole opportunity and kind of a, a sale for young coaches to get the hell out of here, stop living that intern dream and go international. Ooh, so yeah, just what a great idea. Well, I think it's, yeah, it's, it, it's exactly what I wanted to do when I, when I left. I, and it, I think ultimately the world is shrinking. Like we said, I think people, uh, there's so much opportunity because in the United States, there's a tremendous amount of resources and attention thrown towards strength and conditioning and the combine that with the university system and the whole deal. Um, you got, you got some really developed coaches typically. I think we are lagging a little bit in the science, you know, in terms of Australia and the UK and how they've, they've integrated research into uh, a practical uh, situation. So, I mean, I walked into the Brisbane Broncos and in their staff office, they have eight research posters of eight research studies that they've done for the last eight years of questions that they've had about their team and how they were testing that, you know, going through the scientific process and getting the answer and then sharing that, you know, for the, for the community, we're not doing that in the United States. Now where they are excelling in the science, they're lacking in that art of coaching and, and creating environments and creating uh, atmosphere and, and supporting it and all those types of things. So it's getting, it's shrinking and, and those types of things. But to your point, I mean, the university system is, is, um, you know, uh, different here and, and than it is around the world. And most of sports, you know, uh, they go into an academy system where you're working with elite athletes uh, from the, from when they're eight years old, U8s all the way up to the Olympic level athletes. And if you can get into that, um, because if you, you have that experience leading a group and leading uh, in that type of environment, um, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for American strength coaches abroad, you know, to work with some pretty phenomenal athletes across the board. And so how it came about for me is I, you know, I just kept my ears open. I think that's where strength coaches, you get, you get so blocked, you know, uh, get so, you know, side burner or side blinders, um, to what you're focused on hundred percent. And the fact of the matter is this, I mean, it's not that difficult to write programs for athletes in a college setting. It's not that difficult to, to implement. I mean, we make it harder than this. The difficult part, if you're good, is you're, you're spending time with your athletes, and, and that, that that'll hijack your time quite a bit. But what you what you prioritize, you 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 make happen, you know. And so, if you prioritize being a professional and returning emails and phone calls and um, you know and and looking for opportunity outside the four walls of the weight room, you're going to find it. You know, and so I just kept my ears open, eyes open. Every time I, I ran into an international, um, somebody that had international experience, I would I would ask questions. And what one point when I got strength coach of the year, there was a, a group of Chinese, you know, uh, strength coaches that came over to the NSCA. And I just introduced myself. I just introduced myself and talked to them. And, and then I accepted the awards. That didn't, that didn't hurt things, right? Um, and I uh, stayed in contact and went and spoke over in China. And that led 
long-term to a relationship to be able to put coaches over there. Um, but even now, I mean, I, you know, I just, right before I got on this, I was talking to a strength coach in Malaysia and I'm, I'm going to be traveling over to Malaysia to work with his, his, in his gym that works with 50% of the Malaysian Olympic athletes, you know, and I think that's, I mean, to me, that's cool. I think that's what it's all about. Right. hundred percent, man. I mean, and having traveled with our gig, it's, and probably even working with the coaches that come up through our system, not a lot of, not a lot of people have traveled like that and have been able to work in different cultures. And I think we just talked about it with Brett Bartholomew, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. About getting some reps in, in, in different cultures well, and the importance of that in the coach's journey. I mean, what an opportunity. I remember uh, when I was in Germany for a seminar, we reached out to like one of like, um, like a, or I got connected with one of the local soccer organizations that was a professional and they had this whole feeder system that was started in like eight years old. And uh, there was this great belief that actually lifting weights reduced their ability to progress in. So they had like a deal where they weren't even talking about weightlifting until these kids were like 16 or 17 or 18 because they thought it would you know hinder their growth and hinder their abilities. And they were more focused on like development of skill in this. And I remember thinking like, Oh man, you guys like, there's a huge thing. And like, you know, I think that's the one thing that America is usually a little head on is the idea that, you know, uh, it's not going to stunt your growth and that you can put some sport performance stuff in even at a young age and progress them. So, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, we see it here all the time in Texas, man, every place has got a sports specific training facility, which, you know, at the end of the day, like there is a need for skilled development, but like, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's different. I think the culture, you, you talked about the culture piece, Luke. And I think that that's, I mean, you talk about like, like the Chinese culture where they don't value women as, as maybe as much as we do in the United States, or there's not as much, I shouldn't say value, but they, they, there's not as much equal opportunity um, for female athletes and having to go into that type of setting and figure out, okay, how do we, how do we work around this? And how do we, you know, how do we even support this with maybe a female strength coach at some point? Um, you know, I think, there's a big world out there and what's great about, I mean, not to make this kind of political, right. But, you know, politically there's a lot of, it's a lot of messed up things going on in the world. Right. But sport seems to be one of the biggest unifiers, uh, you know, on the planet, you know? And so, yeah, we might be really at odds with China, which we are right now (laughs) to some degree. Um, but it doesn't limit me from traveling to and from and, and impacting those athletes. And what happens is those athletes go on to be a part of the, you know, the political climate in some capacity. And so um, I know, again, it, it seems far-fetched when, when people hear it, but I mean, you, you make a change, you affect change in this world, one action, one person at a time. And I think we have an obligation to do that. You know, and sport is one of the biggest, greatest catalysts for that to happen. For sure. Let's uh, let's talk about sport and opportunity in creating. So I've picked up your book here, and you introduce the the first lead-in is your story about when you were an athlete and you had a coach come in for the first time, and I believe it was your your junior year, rising senior, and talk about the mind shift that changed in you as an athlete with this coach. And what led you to write this book? Yeah, Coach Creighton, Chris Creighton is is now the head strength coach at our head football coach at Eastern Michigan, and he was that's why I ended up leaving the, the Bengals to go work with, you know. And and a lot of it is because I told my wife that 
if he ever got a job at division one level, I was leaving where I was at to go work for him. He's just that kind of, he's that kind of coach, you know, and, and he got hired as a 26 year old head football coach, my senior year in college. And we had gone one and nine, my junior year, one of the worst years of my life. And just, you know, I couldn't, I was having a hard time with it. I was leading the off season workouts. We didn't hire him until like February, I think. So I, mean, I was leading the off season workouts and I was, you know, taking on that type of leadership role. I was even on the hiring committee for when we hired him. They didn't look like they were going to go with him. And I freaking stood up and had our entire, all the athletes that were in it, I had them walk out and say that we weren't playing if they didn't freaking hire Creighton. And um, yeah, I mean, it was one of those deals right now. I think they were going to hire him anyways, but I made it kind of sound dramatic anyways. But one of the very first, the very first day, that we had an off-season workout. It was 6 a.m. and we're all sitting down and we're doing old-school calisthenics. Now, he's not a strength coach, but he's a really good football coach. Um, and we're doing old-school calisthenics and, and stretching. And, and while we were stretching, he read the story of John Goddard, who's this kind of modern-day Indiana Jones. And when he was, I think, 15 years old, he wrote this incredible list of goals of things that he wanted to accomplish in his life. And it wasn't like someday I hope to be a pro or something. It was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go explore all seven continents. I'm going to, I'm going to climb these 15 mountains. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go take pictures and of these rare animals on these different continents and whatnot. And it was just an incredible list that, I mean, I'd be embarrassed to show my list, but I remember as a young athlete, the impact that story had on me as a, as a player. And so that night I went home and I wrote a list and I had it tacked on my, my college board. And then I, I rewrote it several times through the years. And now it's an Evernote on my, on my phone of, of things that I want to accomplish in my life. And I still have that list 25 years later, you know, and I'm still checking things off. You know, in fact, this weekend, this past weekend, one of the things I wanted to go do was see Stonehenge. And I went to Stonehenge while I was in England just this last weekend, you know, so it's nice. something I get to check off. But, you know, that, that, that process of storytelling, um, you know, the, the great coaches are great teachers and great teachers are great storytellers. You know? And um, there's nothing I love more as a coach than the five minutes before a workout or the five minutes after a workout when you get to talk to your players about being a better human being. And if you can, again, tap into that emotional side, you can tap into that elephant and help them find the feeling that comes with that storytelling being a phenomenal way to do that. You can really affect some change in some athletes lives. So you go back to that, that, that experience at Eastern and walking in there. I mean, I would tell them stories. I'd put my arm around it. I, I, I'd spend time outside of the weight room and you would be amazed how many athletes would walk back into my office throughout those other 22 hours and they'd be like, coach, man, that story this morning, that really, you know, that really struck a chord or what do you, what did you mean by that coach? Or, you know, can, can I, can you write that down so I can send that to my mom or, you know, whatever. And, and those are the opportunities when you have the, you know, that's what makes doing the three sets of 10 easy. It's when you can get a player to believe in you outside of, outside of the, the workout uh, and you invest in the athlete outside of the workout that makes the, the coaching part the easy part. And so I felt like in this book, you know, there's a, when I grew up, um, there was the old chicken soup for the soul books. You know, you guys remember those and they had a sports chicken soup for the sports fan soul. And that was one of my favorite books. 
it was just a collection of those kind of metaphorical stories. And um, I just, I mean, I love that. I felt like coaches probably had stories like that that they used as well. So I reached out to, uh, ended up being 99 other coaches and got their stories that they used, some of the stories that they used and put it into a, a collection, almost like a daily devotion for coaches to be able to use. And it's stuff that I use with my kids. It's stuff that I use with athletes. It's stuff that I use in the everyday to, to just simply motivate people. But again, we all have an obligation to help people become the best version of themselves. And I think storytelling is one of the best ways to do that. And we got a lot of Power Athlete Radio alums that you tapped. So I now have my list that I need to continue to tackle and almost have my own goal list of getting every single one of these authors onto our show. Not all of them. It's been a lot. So, oh, yeah. But it, so that's how you sixty percent of the time. Uh, You're having McKeefrey do all the heavy lifting. Uh, yeah. Well, I see you have Mike Boyle in here. Yeah, Mike Boyle, Mike Hill. That was a good Mike Boyle was good. Brett Bartholomew. You uh, gotta reconnect with him. Uh, you know, he makes me laugh because man, he uh, we had him on the podcast and he was like super level headed, but yet like he is such a fucking like rabble rouser, uh, like controversy guy on social media, you know, and these like blanket statements of like, you know, nobody should be back squatting. But yeah, when we had him on, he's like, well, you know, I work with these like, you know, older, you know, professional hockey guys and they can't squat. So I like to do, you know, a lot of single leg work and that makes sense. But yet he makes these like definitive blanket comments. Ra- to try to- I've never heard the term rabble rouser, but I get yeah, well, it. Do you know what a rabble, 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 rabble. Oh yeah. South Park. The Texas yeah. come out of them already. What's that? It's the Texas coming out of you already. Oh, yeah. oh. Rabble Rouser is a Texas term? Is that it, a... It makes sense that Tex would know. Yeah. Stop. Because you're a fake Texan. Hey, John, where were you born? Stop. Uh, I was born in California. Oh, yeah, I was born in Illinois. And then you moved here as quick as you could. And, no, it, uh, it took me 40 years to get here. Tex, yeah, where it's were pretty you slow. born? Yeah, yeah, you're a, a aren't you a Virginia guy? Circumstances you're a, you're outside a of my control. You're I'm, a Yankee. I'm below the Mason Dixon line, John. No, oh, that's true. Uh, actually, surprisingly, I didn't really know where the Mason Dixon line was until I was in Philly and we rolled to Delaware and crossed over the Mason Dixon line. And I remember thinking, like, wow, this is way. I mean, you think Mason Dixon line's going to be in the South? Like, what? That no, was Mar- Maryland's the free state nickname. Yeah, yeah that was uh, yeah. Uh, Blew my mind. There's a Waffle House right on the Mason Dixon line. We used to ride down me and me and El Bundabento. <laughs> Still never been. That's one of the tour stops. To, to yeah. the Mason Dixon line or the Waffle or House? Or the Waffle House. Oh, oh you would love the, the, the Waffle you, House on the Mason Dixon line. First of all, yeah. you yeah. as much as Bring you it. love shitty coffee. Bring it, yeah. Uh, the Waffle House has a like the market cornered on coffee shitty that will coffee. give you a fucking ulcer if you drink it. No, not me. Let me tell you. Let me clarify for the listeners. One, I don't love shitty coffee. I love good coffee. Even the fancy stuff. But I do enjoy sipping all you can drink coffee out of a diner mug. I just don't know what there is about it. Like but, have no, a, I think it's have the a scrambler telling stories with your friends drinking shitty coffee. I think it's the stories you love and you just have to be. I just hate shitty coffee. coffee. Man, I, I'll tell you, there, there's one spot that there's only one spot that has pretty good mugs. Is it in Fort Bragg? No, dude. Fucking Los Pinos has the word. I cannot. Drink oh no, coffee, it's awful. Man. That, it tastes like uh, like brown man, water dirt. With, with dirt. Yeah, and maybe a little <laughs> acid, like dirt and acid. Yeah, and it shocks me because it's the right type of mug. It's the yeah. right type of scenario. But best breakfast tacos in all of, mm-hmm. I guess, West Austin area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's up there. On Bee Cave. 
they're amazing. In on that street. On that street, on yeah. Because <laughs> when you start talking about breakfast tacos here in Austin, there's way better places than the Los Pinos. Uh, okay, list them. I don't exactly. Know. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I got kids. I don't go out. I'm not like out driving around all willy nilly looking for breakfast tacos. Even though well, we did well, go out. Right. Yeah, we we did go to this place downtown. I took Cashy. We went to some place downtown. And I had to wait in line for like 30 minutes to get these things, and they were pretty good. But I can't remember the name. I can't even remember your name half the time. You know how many hits I've had to that? Twelve. <laughs> Thousand. Seven miles an hour. Twelve thousand hits. Anything else, Tex? Yeah. Highlight this, uh, the Play Pro app. So you're going directly to coaches for the education where they're getting the rest of their information. Might as well learn something, right? Yeah, no, it's um, the, the app was something that came about. I, I, I created something similar to this a long time ago where I was trying to kind of collect all these videos from these different clinics that would exist and, and kind of put it behind a membership site or whatever. And uh, I really enjoyed it because it was something that was, I really did it for me so I could just kind of do a clinic on my own terms. Right. Um, but when we went about, you know, we had, you know, we were doing our events, we were sitting on a, a ton of content that we had, you know, that we had either produced ourselves or had access to, and, you know, it was kind of dying. It was one-off type stuff and it was dying. It was and this, some of this gold content that needed to be out there. So we created a, a Play Pro, Pro platform. It's both a web-based and, you know, app-based platform. But it's essentially um, Netflix for strength coaches. It's It's got a ton of old, you know, content from different labs and clinics that we've held. Um, but we've also, we have a TV show that, that, that I put on, it's called beyond the chalk where I interviewed, you know, came down to Austin and did Donnie Mave. And, um, you know, we, we just got done doing Tom Morris in Indiana. who's a, a, a quadriplegic or paraplegic, uh, strength coach in Indiana and, and, and practicing strength coach, um, just finding strength coaches that have cool stories. And we have an iron roots podcast with Zach Kavadesh. We, he talks about some of the, the, you know, the history of strength conditioning and mm-hmm. Old yeah. school. So, a bunch of old so when whenever Zach says anything, I just yell at him, old school. That's, <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's, well, it's, it's, it's your Evan Esch voice. It's my Evan Esch voice. Yeah, that's good. Zach's awesome. <laughs> but, they, uh, but yeah, I mean, we ended up putting it all into this platform that, you know, it's essentially like Netflix, like Netflix and um, the idea is just to make it so it's at your fingertips. You know, just make I think it- it's great to go out and chronicle, especially these, um, kind of storied strength coaches. And I know this is going to sound like extremely, uh, fucking, I don't know, weird, but, uh, there's a lot of this information that unfortunately when these guys pass on are, is just kind of left to this, you know, folklore, like, um, you know, uh, Dr. Ken just passed away. Um, you know, uh, like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Charlie Francis. But also I was thinking, uh, the, the dude from Hawaii who wrote the, you know, only strong shall survive. Um, fuck. Uh, the strength. Uh, fuck. I can't believe I'm dropping it. I'm forgetting his name. Um, Dar. Would you, what, uh, what did you say? Oh, um, Hauser. No, no. Uh, uh, the guy that wrote, uh, only the strong shall survive. Uh, the guy from Hawaii. Um, fuck. I'm not going to be a help here. Yeah. I don't have my computer in front of me. 
Um, but you know, all, all these kind of old time strength coaches that, you know, like, uh, you know, were so steep in the game early on and then, you know, then they since pass away and like, you really lose a bunch of that good information. So what's been great. I mean, I always regretted not getting uh, George Angus on the podcast. I mean, thank God I got my dad on before he passed away, but like some of these people that were, you know, have such great information in these stories and we're so into it. Like, I, uh, you know, and that's what Zach is great about is really chronicling this stuff. Like I love seeing Zach's Instagram just cause he'll like, uh, you know, post things. Things and I'm like, oh shit! Like he sent me that uh, a series of videos from uh, Dr. Ken that are just unbelievable. Legend, do you guys know him, Dr. Ken Leiser? Oh, maniac, maniac, dude. He, yeah, like. Uh, unbelievable he used to train to like uh, classical music he had this like a crazy garage gym and like all these nfl players would show up i mean just pretty and i think he lived out in long island a uh, pretty story dude but i mean i just think uh if somebody doesn't chronicle it or write down the stories or like do what you've done then they're just kind of lost to time and uh you know and that's you know not going to influence you know future strength coaches or people that really need it well, I think, you know, I, I talk about this often on, on, on my podcast and what, you know, when I speak and whatnot, and, uh, we're still in the first hundred years of the modern day strength conditioning coach. Right. You know, and, and so we all, all of us have an obligation to help chronicle that as best we can so that ho- hopefully future generations can look back at that, and, you know, either get to, you know, have the, 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 the stories and whatnot or, and the process I think is important, but it's also to, to maybe laugh at where we were and where we are now, you know, but, um, but guys like that, like you said, Ken Meissner, I mean, Arthur Jones, I, I, I remember us at, at Tampa Bay, Arthur Jones coming over and, you know, we're doing leg extensions to failure, right? I mean, it's about as bad as they can get mechanically, but we're doing leg extensions to failure and, uh, Mark Sandwich got to failure. Um, and he's like, I can't do it anymore. And he's like, bullshit, you can do more. So he did another rep. He's like, bullshit, you can do more. And he pulls out a freaking 357 and cocks it, and cocks it back and puts it on his freaking leg and it flew up. He's like, look, I told you, you got more in you. you know? hey, that's it was, how it I'm talking about. It wasn't loaded, but at the same time, I mean, it's like, you know, guys like that, like Ken Leisner, Arthur Jones, I mean, um, you know, they're, they're just, uh, you know, I mean, we're built, we have the platform we do because of guys like that that have helped build this profession at a time when people thought it was bad to lift weights for sport, you know, and, you know, and that's where I I get on a soapbox and I get pissed off at at, at other strength coaches because honestly, in essentially 70 years, the only thing that we've done to add value to strength and conditioning uh, to grow it as a profession is to add the tactical component to it. You know, that's the only way we've really grown it, you know, but yeah, we got, you know, we got people making half a million dollars doing it now, you know, and there's so much opportunity at, for uh, not just a strength and conditioning coach, but really what we do is more elite human performance, right? There's so much that I, you know, that you can do to help and perform, you know, help humans perform better in a variety of capacities. That we need to, you know, we need to grow this profession. We need to continue to have opportunities and uh, show alternative. Because as you mentioned, text, you know, what happens now a lot of times with young coaches is they hit that wall of like, I can't get that. I've done my GA, I've done, I've done my GA, I've done an internship, I've done a second internship, and then I throw my hands up and I'm like, I can't get a job. And instead of going out and making a job, you know, creating one from scratch, how about go be a, a teacher at a high school that doesn't have strength and conditioning and show the need for strength and conditioning like those coaches did in 70 years ago 
you know, and we're able to create a $500,000 job for somebody today, you know, and we have an obligation to do that. And, and those guys, that golden age of strength and conditioning, where those guys went out and created something from scratch, it's to me, that's so freaking impressive. I know we got a couple guys. Actually, old Gil from last weekend, who's a big fan of the show. I mean, that's what he's doing at that school in um, Harlem. In Harlem, just kicked in the door and is managing to kind of from the ground up build an after-school program. He's getting a few guys in, and then you know, there's only one trajectory there, man. Yeah, if you do it right. Yeah, dude. Highlight to him. He's living in Connecticut, and every job was two years' experience. He's like, well, how do I get two years experience if I can't get a job? So then takes a train into Harlem every day. And then they just have he had brought his own equipment to a room with no windows in that school and loads up some kids, gets into. Yeah, make it happen. Yeah. There's a guy we did. A, we did a play. We did a beyond the chalk on John Feynman. He's he, he created what's called inner city weightlifting. He was a soccer player at one of the one of the private colleges up in the northeast. Can't remember which one. I think Dartmouth maybe, but, you know, just had it got impacted by a strength coach, found a, a weightlifting and became a weight, you know, competed a little bit in weightlifting, nothing serious, but just saw an opportunity and that didn't see an opportunity, saw a need for these gang members, you know, and, and, um, the, um, uh, Boston area, I think it's Boston. Can't remember exactly. It's been a while since we shot that episode, but he essentially created a, a program where he takes gang members and teaches them how to become personal trainers and how to make money as a personal trainer and has three locations won't post the sites because of fear has had several guys get shot and killed and um you know that were in the program but has helped others go on to successful careers as personal trainers training ceos at these companies and it is, it is boston in boston um and just i mean again i think goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, we have such a platform to affect change in the world that we need to be using that, you know, and, and you know, the, the lack of grit or the lack of perseverance to push through some of the obstacles that come across, you know, it's like that elephant that's walking down that path and all of a sudden there's a, there's a freaking tree in front of it that just stops and it, it doesn't, I mean, that's, that's crazy. You're a freaking elephant. Just crush the damn thing. Mm. Exactly. So we got three play clinics coming up in June, the same weekend. So if you want to highlight those, we'll, we'll get this episode out before. Yeah. Got uh, all June 8th. Thought it would be cool to kind of put on this kind of coordinated event. Um, so we have one in, in Dallas area, Dallas area at Richland high school. Um, and uh, right outside of the DFW area, we have one at YZ high school up in Minnesota, right outside of Minneapolis. And we have one at Pensacola, at um what's that north florida right um down there and it, i mean incredible lineups we you know cal deeds lauren lando uh raf uh you know john garish carmen bot uh just some really really incredible coaches um speaking at all these events dan dalrymple from saints um smith power athlete radio alum yeah, Bobby Smith, Rift. I mean, there's ton. There's a ton of great coaches coming, and you know, we we it's a it's a it's an event for strength coaches by strength coaches, and um, it's you know we go lecture, practical lecture, roundtable, 
And in the round table, the whole point of the round table is I hate these conferences where you just throw a panel up and it's nobody ask a question. And it's this, you know, it's this labored of labored affair. We, we put our speakers in the groups and everybody goes around and gives their biggest pain point. And you have people give a, a, a tactical takeaway for you to go back on Monday and go back to your program with some tactical ideas to, 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 to tackle your, your biggest pain point. And then you have opportunity to ask, ask them questions in an intimate setting. And, um, and then the practical component, and then obviously the lectures and whatnot, it's your typical strength conference in that way. But uh, the great days, I mean, we, did, we, we, we had over 160 at our event in, in uh, Australia. We just blew out a, a great event in, in England. Um, and then we have three here in the U S and, the, and then one in Vancouver in September, um, as well. So awesome event. Yeah. I attended one in 2017, the speed summit at Landau's place. And I thought the, the round table is one of the most valuable things because you got to sit in with all these great coaches and it's all right. Who do you want a job with? Go work your way into that round table and make sure they remember you. So it creates this mm -hmm. opportunity to connect rather than, yeah, put the coaches on a pedestal. Yeah, those networking. I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, conferences anymore, especially with things like Play Pro, where you can essentially create your own conference in your in your pocket. You know, it's it's it, sometimes it's hard mentally to, to to say, okay, it's worth the travel time, it's worth the time away from home, and all those types of things. But what you don't get, like you just mentioned, is that opportunity to network, to interact, to ask questions. You know, and that's why it always baffles me. It just it baffles me when people don't come. You invest this money and then you sit there and you be quiet. And you don't ask anything. I mean, like I would ask a million questions until you tell me to shut up. So if you're going, people, open your fucking mouth. And yeah, ask. until you're told to shut up. Yeah, sit down. Yeah, shut, shut up, up. Tex. <laughs> okay, Tex, unshut up. Well, well I was going to say, Tex, I mean, you know, you were out there over there pimping these guys and, uh, you, you know, you didn't get a, a job at Landau's. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised with your strength and conditioning knowledge that you couldn't have landed a gig, uh, you know, at least cleaning the toilets. I was, I was out there recruiting for the Power Athlete methodology, and that's where I met Matt Erdman, Block One coach. Oh, oh yeah. shout out to Erd. Oh, yeah. So, engage, thanks, inform, thanks, and convert. Thanks, Mission Matt. Accomplished. <laughs> well, well Ron, hey, man, thank, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the show. Um, we know you're a busy dude. Yeah, man. It, it's great to check in with you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't gotten in touch with old Mr. McKeefrey through his, his previous books, uh, CEO strength coach, right. And then now weight room wisdom, which sounds like, sounds like a good one for like a guy like me who doesn't really know how to read lots of short stories. But, you yeah. Know. Two, well, especially two, a, three a, page chapters. Yeah. I need a, that. A soon to be father. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in there. You could action as a, oh, you know, soon to be ooh, father. Good point. Yeah. It's, and maybe well, there you go. And maybe you win text one day. Maybe I'll have text read it to me. <laughs> like I like my stuff with Red. He has all sorts of funny voices. Well, the funny part is you keep falling asleep. I'll, no, I'll try yeah, to mimic. I'll mimic all these strength coaches' voices. <laughs> get really good. And here's the thing: if a strength coach has a goatee and shaved head, you have to get into character. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's. Uh, you know, I'm thinking sleeveless performance polo, shaved head, goatee. And you got to say things like, hey, brother. Well, I got this Evanesh down. <laughs> old school. Oh, no, you got to say it old school. Oh, exactly. You got to say it like your prostate hurts. Old school. God, this prostate hurts. Yeah, painless prostate on this side. I got to. I was like, oh, I'm all flared up. I got some pee pee. <laughs> uh, okay. It's a 
Chris. <laughs> Schofield, we got him. Yeah. All right. But Ron, thanks again, man. And I guess where awesome. do you want? Where are you at on social? What are you, what are your uh, social handles so people can? Yeah. Snip before you out? I do, guys. I mean, I you know, like I've told you guys a million times. I just I respect so much what you guys are doing. And again, going back to some of the things we talked about about challenging the status quo and not just you know and kind of marching to your own beat. Uh, but then turn around and being able to back it up with solid, solid uh, content and, and uh, practical application. I think it's it's a testament of what you guys do on a daily basis. So appreciate you guys so much. Really do. Uh, I'm, you know, at R McKeefrey on pretty much everything social, ronmckeefrey.com, playperform.com, P-L-A-E perform.com is, is pretty much where I live these days. So appreciate you guys so much, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ron. Thank Thanks, you. Ron. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Ron McKeefrey on all social media outlets at R McKeefrey. You can visit him at playperform.com. That's P L A E perform.com. Or he's got his own website, ronmckeefrey.com, which I highly recommend that you check out. The reason being, he has uh, kind of his roles listed in what I would assume is a hierarchy. First, he has listed husband, then father, then strength and conditioning coach, then author, then speaker. And I think that just speaks to the value sets of some of our guests, most specifically Ron and being just a fucking rad person. Uh, my voice is fucked, so I'm going to get going. Until next time, bye! Run no time, a little white pill for them little white lines on.